Drink run. Here we go. McCafe coffees, shakes, and drinks. Ain't no thing. You the man. Yeah, that's what they're gonna say. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much. We love you. <laughs> that's right. You the champ. The drink run champ. Welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? Own the drink run, Kevin. Own it. Now get a small smoothie, shake, or frappe for $2 on McDonald's one two three dollars menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Hello and welcome to your favorite hour of the week. This, of course, is the Arrowhead Pride Podcast. Pete Sweeney here with the player Sean Barber, the blog father Joel Thorman. And boys, we got the Chargers this week. How are we feeling? Feeling good, man. You know, it's always good after a win. You know, you kind of shake off that last five-game sh- schnod, that little slide. and We know it's going to be a good podcast when Sean's already dancing. Yeah, he's already <laughs> shaking, vibrating the table. He's fired up today. Going with the two nine jersey, huh? Yeah, I got the EB going on. I had a and Nike ones. You can tell this is at least it's it's not old. We know that. I got the uh, Lamar Hunt pot uh, patch right here. It's a uh, yeah. It's a, it got sound. You got some energy today. Somewhere. You're feeling good. I can feel it. Oh, he, Eric Berry signed it yeah, for it you. Yeah, signed, signed it last night, man. We had dinner at Eddie V's on the plaza. Eddie V's. There was a rookie. It was a rookie player engagement. Yeah, the player engagement. Yeah, they're doing a great job there, really getting the guys, the the, the first year rookie guys, really uh, kind of supplanted here in the in the Kansas City community and and and, and outreaching to different uh, businesses. And so we had a chance to just congratulate the rookies that actually completed the program, the ones that really, um, you know, accepted the challenge and really, um, you know, uh, re- you know, this the rookies activated. looked forward to the challenge of completing the. Uh, player engagement so, program, yeah. and they're they, able to do it. Do they bring Eric Berry down to that and just say, "Be like this guy"? I mean, trot him out and, there and, and just in say, a way, Here you go. You're, you're either a first year player, you're a veteran, or you're an alumni. And so we had a good mix of all those guys together, and sharing stories, hearing Bobby Bell and Yon and myself and, and, and um, Ken Ken Kramer and Fuzzy. And I mean, all these guys uh, talking to the current players, and then the current players talking to the veteran players. Uh, I mean, the rookie players. It, it's just a uh, that's the way knowledge and wisdom is passed along, right? Generation by generation, generation. And Andy Reid and uh, BJ Stabler has done a great job of this uh, creating an environment to share that, that 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 amount of wealth of knowledge. Great job. I think what everyone's wondering was, what was Pat Mahomes like? Any any, any Pat Mahomes stories? He was wearing a Christmas sweater, I saw. <laughs> Are you saw? Yeah, I saw pictures of man, this Man, these night. guys, they tweet too much, man. They, they Instagram, and before you even get out of there, you got people telling you what you're wearing. And it was, I think it was BJ who put it out there. Oh, that's it? Stapler, not Yeah, Kissel. I got you. No, I had a couple people ask me, like, what are you having? Like, I had people texting me and FaceTime me and stuff like that. Hey, what are you having at Eddie V's? And I'm like, and he's like, oh, I see you in the background of some Instagram shot or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> I haven't right. even got my food yet. And they already asked me how it tastes. If it if it's not on social media, Sean, it did not happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> well, anyway. Here we go. Here we go. Nice here we go. start. We have the Los Angeles Chargers this week, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. College football is over, so the slot was open. So we get the Chiefs and Chargers in a big-time game, Arrowhead Stadium, NFL Network, but I believe, correct CBS. me if I'm wrong, it'll be on CBS locally in L.A. for the 10 Chargers fans and in Kansas City for the Pete, coming out firing right off the bat of Chiefs fans, Greg Gumbel, and our boy, Trent Green, on the call. We'll get into the Chargers in just a minute, but first things first, what did we learn in the win, win against the Raiders last week? Maybe the Chiefs' defense isn't that bad. Um, you know, I, I know the Raiders have uh, plenty of problems, but uh, the the pass rush, the Chiefs' pass rush um, kind of came alive, and we've been talking about that for weeks. I think that's like the number one thing with this defense. If they're going to be good, they're going to have a pass rush. So, um, hey, it it lives. And Chris Jones is still a monster. <laughs> well, what I've learned is there's, there is a such thing as addition by subtraction. Um, can we add to the team's confident level their ability to rely on each other and get a win by subtracting people due to injury and due to suspension. So without um, some of our key factors, some injured players, and also due to the suspension, we had some key components missing on game day. But I think all in all, when you added it up, the team played better together. Yeah, 
I want to caution people because, man, I didn't realize how bad the Oakland Raiders are. I mean, they are coached horribly. The Chiefs played well, and, and you have to give them credit. But, man, the Raiders stunk in that game. And, you know, lucky the Chiefs caught them at the right time because this is a team in the NFL that's been able to muster together six wins. I cannot believe the Raiders were at 500 in that game. Yeah, Um Man, their their quarterback doesn't look very good. He can't beat their biggest rival on the road. And, I mean, Jack Del Rio, just everything, like he, I don't know. I just think he's not a very good coach at all. I think that uh, comes across um, very obviously, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Jack Del Rio for about three more weeks and then not anymore. Well, we did have a moment of uh, last week. Actually, he just about- got extended, didn't he? Yeah, and, and he calls out his players, though, to your point. That's, that's, that's exactly the point I was going to bring up, that after the game, he'll, he'll like say, you know, it wasn't the plan, it was the player's execution. Just like little things that's like the opposite. It's like bizarro Andy Reid, you know, how Andy Reid goes to an extreme yeah, the other the way. Opposite. Yeah, I agree. Which is frustrating at times, but I guess given the choice, I'd rather have my coach do that than calling out, you know, your quarterback or something like yeah. that. Well, we knew that Derek Carr historically wasn't going to have a good night when it comes to playing in right. Arrowhead. We had some hashtags and for him. He was focusing on that earlier in the week. He said, I need this. I need oh. to win at Arrowhead. And he can't, which is crazy because he's pretty good elsewhere. Yeah, I think he, I mean, was, he was really bad. <laughs> Not just – like it wasn't one of those like, you know, Alex Smith games where he throws for 180 yards and you're like, yeah. You know, one touchdown, just, 250, no picks. I mean, I mean until, <laughs> until one of those like, you know, the last few drives uh, like in the fourth quarter there, I mean, he was at like 50 yards on the game or something. I mean, he was, he was like beyond bad. Yeah, that was one of the worst games um, I've actually seen him play as a pro. And, but I think it's something about that, you know, subconsciously that arrowhead mystique. It got, in, it got into his head early in the week, and he, got, you know, he put so much pressure on himself to perform. Uh, some of those, those, those touch passes ended up being just a little bit off, um, going off of Cordell Patterson's hands on a, on a big third down and not be able to sustain drives. Um, it, it just takes little nuances like that to get into a quarterback's head to get him off. Well, that's last week. This week, it's the Chargers. First thing is the news, and I think the most important piece of news this week is that Marcus Peters is reinstated. And Alex Smith sort of put that story to rest this week. You know, I, I shot up some texts, uh, you know, there uh, this last week, and with, with him coming back after the game. Um, you know, uh, Marcus is a heck of a competitor, man. I mean, he, he's he's in it, and uh, and sometimes that, like I said it before, sometimes that that, that, that gets the best of him. Sometimes, you know, um, but no question. I, I think, uh, listen, he. he uh, you know, he served his served his time. You know, he, he took his punishment. And he's back, and we're ready to roll, man. We got a big we got a big challenge, and we need him. We need him back. None of us are perfect. Uh, we all make mistakes. Um, you know, and uh, uh, we're just trying to go. We're all trying to figure it out. Uh, we all deal with our own things, right? And uh, like I said, we need him. We need we need him back uh, and and rolling. Alex Smith puts it to rest. One of the team leaders. I said last week, I think this can go one of two ways. At least from what you're hearing from the team, Marcus Peters is taking this positively. Of course, they're going to say that, though. Uh, what do you expect this week, Sean? Well, I think you see that, you know, like you're saying, MP, MP is back. You know, it's uh, we dealt with the suspension. Um, he's done his time. Now it's time to go back and play. He's, he's implemented back into the defense. Let's get ready to roll. Use him in whichever way he's going to um, um, throw off the rivers in there. Uh, horde of wide receivers they have to, to throw at you. Uh, but he's always been like, you know what I'm saying, it's family first, family first. Everything's about the family. And I think what Andy did is look at the situation and said, uh, you know, his growth and development as a man is more important than any one win. And if we want this guy to be a long-term fixture as a quality cornerback in this league, not only for the Chiefs, but keeping him in the league, he has to be able to do something to uh, just really control that 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 moment when he loses it, that moment when he just does things that are just unacceptable for any team in the league, we have to find a way to curb that. Yeah, he has that temper, and what Andy Reid calls it is passion. And a lot of times you like it. You like that swag, but sometimes, especially with him, it can go a little too far, yeah. and I think this time it did, and that's why he was punished. And, I mean, he's a big-time player. I think those get, those types of guys respond in these situations, uh, you know, what kind of – almost when their backs are up against the wall or all the attention's on them. Um, so, man, I, I think it's going to be a big game for Peters. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's going to make a play this weekend. 
I, I agree. I think he comes back positively, and we'll get into it more in our next segment where we talk about the X's and O's, but he's re-entering a secondary that looked a lot better last week. But first, the injuries this week. Stephen Terrell added to the injured reserve list. Kind of uh, sad for him because he came in in a tough spot. You know, he was cut, I believe, at the 53 roster cut. You know, wasn't with the team. Obviously stayed in shape, was kind of a role player, took that concussion, but then, you know, now he's on the injured reserve list with a dislocated finger. Chiefs bring up an old friend, draft pick, Leon McQuay. Interested in seeing how he, how he plays, you know, finally getting that call up. Yeah, um, a little nervous that it's, you know, happening this late in the season, uh, but he's been with the team all year, been practicing, all that. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're really just kind of testing the depth here because I guess this will be you're down three safeties at this point, two, good, two safeties at this point. The good thing is Eric Murray had a full practice right. on, I believe it was Wednesday of this week, so he should be back in the lineup. I think the only person you're probably going to be missing this week, it looks like Mitch Morris has been practicing this week. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're going to do what we have to do on the offense line, um, continue to just progress and grow as a unit um, without Mitch being in there. Um, you know, everybody has kind of moved over. Everybody's playing dual roles and collectively as an offense, um, like you say, I don't, I don't think the Raiders really is a good, um, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't show their best against the Raiders because the Raiders didn't give them their best. The Raiders up front besides. In their most important game of the year, they didn't show up. And yeah. that was unbelievable. And that's why, that's why. Jack Del Rio's on the hot seat. If they don't beat the Cowboys this week and they kind of tumble out of the playoffs and it becomes a two-team race with the Chiefs and the Chargers, depending on how this game goes, Del Rio might be done. Yeah, they had oh, Matt. I think he's, you know, Matt came to he came to play. Matt he came and brought brought his you know brought his lunch pail and uh, gave it as all. But besides him, defensively, it was pretty much nobody out there making plays besides uh, Matt. It's going to turn around this week. Chargers are pretty good. Chargers are pretty seven. good, and they couldn't be playing any be- any better right now. Game storylines, division controls on the line, which Chiefs team shows up? I think that's a big question because we saw a really great Chiefs team at the beginning. We saw a really bad Chiefs team in the middle stretch of the season. And I think right now we have, in my opinion, a slightly above average Chiefs team at this point. And it's a little bit of a different look with Matt Nagy. Again, we'll get into some of that in the next segment. But how do you feel about this game? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, neither does Las Vegas with their pick'em right now. Yeah, if you say, uh, yeah, I think the Chiefs opened up as a one-point favorite, and then they went down to two-point dogs. It's been swing, and now it's even. Right. Um, I mean, just you look at this game objectively. You're doing a lot of hoping uh, for the Chiefs. Um, you know, you you hope that uh, last week's pass rush was real. Um, you hope that you can get a you know a few more interceptions off of uh, Philip Rivers. And I guess that's kind of what concerns me is that in my head as I'm thinking of this game, like the Chiefs really have to have like a perfect game, a lot of uh, really good matchups to to win the game because. On paper, man, the Chargers have a lot of advantages. Sean, I think I know the answer to this question. <laughs> I think I know from you, knowing you. Will the Chiefs rise up this week? Uh, definitely, 100%. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a surprise. I'm an Andy Reid guy, and what I know about Andy is he's very constant and he's deliberate. And his message has been clear and consistent every week to the players. Um, now, whether the players are actually listening and whether they uh, put it into action on game day, I mean, you can you can see it almost series by series that, when Kelsey is involved and he's um, um, active and aggressive, he's and he's in his moment. He's unguardable. But once he complains about a holding call, then you have about three or four plays where he can drop an easy pass or drop a touchdown. There's some things that he's he's lost the moment, and and, and Andy is so much against that. It's it's grasped the moment. It's situational football. All, all practice is all about. You talking about practice? I'm talking about practice, man. Like, like owning that situation, that moment in the game. Let's play in the best we can in this one moment, and uh, grasping that to, and to make it to the next moment. And I know that's the message being preached in that uh, Arrowhead Drive consistently throughout all the different players and all the different rooms. And you just need the players to make sure they're listening and accepting the challenge. I agree. I mean, it's sixty minutes. There cannot be against this Chargers team a gaff a personal foul against the Peters or Kelsey, because if you give them a little bit of that edge, if, you know, you, you give Phillip Rivers a little bit closer field position, this was a team that really wasn't good on third down earlier in the year. They improved on first and second down. Rivers said this week that's why they improved on third down. And now this is a really tough team to beat. You don't want to give them any edge. They've won four in a row. Here was Phillip Rivers this week talking about how they've been playing loose lately. It's been good. You know, I think Coach Lynn really, I, I think it starts with him. I, 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 don't, I don't mean loose and uh, uh, 
loosey-goosey in a way that's in any way uh, not focused. But I think his demeanor is very serious, as you all know, but very but very real. And I think uh, he, he knows what it's like to be a player. You know, that's one thing I'll, I've always thought is kind of like a – uh, one of those a football analysts or whatever that was a former player, I always thought there's a challenge there of don't forget what it was like when you played. You know, sometimes they can you can lose touch of, yeah, did you remember what it was like to make that throw or have to make that catch or that block? You know, so I think he's one of those coaches that hasn't forgot what it was like to be a player too, whether he's setting up a schedule, whether he's doing the practice deal, whether just how the things have flown, how, think, how things have flowed. So I think that too comes out in, in, in his presence and the way he presents things to us. And I think that's allowed us to feel loose, uh, but also be very focused. And because that's when you're at your best. I mean, you know, so I, I think that's a key for us this week is that, you know, yeah, is acknowledging it's a big game. There's a lot of the line, this, in Arrowhead Stadium at night. And there's all those things that are going to make it, you know, I mean, you take a deep breath, you know, and you come out of the tunnel, it's just going to feel different. But um, at the same time, play the same game we've been playing. We don't have to do more. Uh, just do what we've been doing. Rivers loving on some Lynn right there. Yeah, he, uh, you know, after an zero and four start to come back. I mean, that's he's probably a pretty good coach. I hate to say it, um, to to come back like that during the season. That's tough to do. And you know what? And I, I you don't ever want to stomp on people, but you think of Mike McCoy. It seems like Rivers really appreciates having Lynn there, whereas like McCoy it never really seemed like a fit. And I think what you mentioned too, zero and four team it really reminds me of that one and five chiefs team and, and it isn't the same exact thing because because the chiefs went on to win 10 games in a row finish 11 five that's unbelievable and probably you know will never happen again that's that's extremely rare but oh and four to get back in the playoff race to stick with it i mean that takes some mental aptitude and they've they haven't been playing for like you know they started out oh and four so nobody expected anything of them so they've been playing you know like you said uh like like you know river said like been, been playing loose and free um and this is you know really the first or the second game they've had where there's like real pressure and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel um you know what a loss would do to you um, so, I mean, I think this game is, you know, it, it is different for them because uh, there's actually something at stake and, you know, they, they can't kind of play the way that they have been, I guess. Yeah, we talk about leadership from, you know, starts at the top. It starts with the coaches. So you have teams that went a different way in leadership when it comes to the Eagles, the Chargers, and the Rams, right? All, everybody has a first-year coach comes in. They, they really they took a grasp of what the coach was saying and they put it on the field. It's an air of confidence in what the coach was preaching and everybody's trying to, uh, play up to that part, and then you have a team like Denver, where the coaches his mantra is just not it's not it's not being accepted. It's like having a transplant of an organ and your body rejects it. <laughs> the Broncos have rejected their coach, and whether it comes to those other three teams, I mean they've they've accepted it and moved on. And it took a little bit of growing pains the first four weeks for the Chargers, but they actually believe in what Coach Lynn's saying. They're feeding in. You can tell in there uh, when they when they're relating to the media, you're hearing a lot of the Lynnisms. Um, a lot of the coaches speak is, is being reflected in the, in the players' talk, and that's when you know the players really get it. Yeah, Vance Joseph certainly not having the time of his life <laughs> anymore, but you look at Anthony Lynn, and I think it, it just shows that there's different different ways to be successful as a head coach in the National Football League. Like, I look at Andy Reid and Bill Belichick as more of coaches' coaches, and yeah, they're players' coaches, but they're, they're a coach. They're almost like a father figure, whereas Anthony Lynn seems to have a style where he's on the same level as He's like guys. a peer. He's younger. And I, I think it works for them. You know, I don't know if it would work here, especially with some of the volatile personalities on the Kansas City Chiefs, but it works for them, and that's why they've been so successful. That's why they're in the spot they are this week. I think another question in this game is how will the Arrowhead Stadium crowd be? Here was Rivers. Really nice quote from Rivers. All, all these all these AFC West quarterbacks seem to enjoy playing at Arrowhead Stadium rather than not. Here was Rivers this week. Well, I mean, it's just a great place to play. It's just, to me, it's one of, the, one of the few old-school NFL atmospheres that are left. You know, and so it's uh, it's awesome. Fans are great. They're uh, they're very knowledgeable. They know they know what's going on out there, and um, and shoot, and it's always a heck of a challenge. Uh, we've had a lot of games there come down to the wire. Uh, as of late, we haven't won very many of them, um, but it's always a always a heck of a game. What's the most important factor for a visiting offense going into that atmosphere? Well, I think it's managing the noise, uh, being able to communicate, make sure we're all on the same page, uh, whether it be changing the play uh, with the protection, with the route combinations, any, any adjustments we're making, make sure we're on the same page. And, uh, and, and, then, and then something always for me in those environments is not be aware of the clock. 
you got to be aware of the play clock. You want to make adjustments. They take a little bit longer when you got to you got to communicate it uh, a little different than you do when you're at home. So I, I think that's that's and not have those self-inflicted wounds. You get behind the chain. You know, you have a third and six, and you fall start, or you get something happen, and you're third and eleven. It's a whole different animal uh, when you're on the road. So I think managing those things uh, uh, gives you a chance. All those things are before the ball snapped, and then once the ball snapped, it's it's just about executing like always. You know, I looked at the weather forecast for this week. Should be pretty nice. Global warming has a nice December in Kansas City right now. So, I don't know. Saturday night, you have an Arrowhead Stadium crowd that is usually raucous when they have to work tomorrow. No one is working on Sunday. I think this place is going to be rocking on Saturday. You know, I wondered about that. Like, I think the Raiders' win kind of turned, you know, turned things around a little bit. But, like, the Chiefs were so bad for so long uh, this season that I think there were plenty of fans that kind of checked out and was like, oh, you know, this is going to be would, another season. Like, did the Raiders game bring these people back in? I would think if this was just a regular Sunday game, I sort of would agree with you. I just think this is too good of an opportunity for a Saturday night. I, have a, I had a friend I was talking with yesterday, and she was trying to find, like, a party bus for Saturday night. And this week, and she could not find a party bus in the city. I just think it's going to be a party atmosphere because, again, there's that Saturday night thing you never yeah. get in the NFL. Man, I'm, I'm pleading and I'm hoping um, that the fan base realizes this is a fight for first place. This is it. This is this, the playoffs. This is, this is where we make our stand. This is where we fight. Uh, this is going to be the game of the season right here. And I mean, to be like firsthand account, to be on the field last week and to see half the lower level being black and silver. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know where I was. You know, I, I was kind of concerned that not only was our fans checking out, but they were selling our tickets to the opponent. They were making it an easier environment for a, a quarterback that struggled coming in the Arrowhead, and that was just amazing to me. That you can't. Not only do you not want to go, but you can't even find another Chiefs fan to take your ticket to make sure that sea of red stays the sea of red. I mean, it's it's a personal challenge. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm on the sideline, and I hope and pray that the sea of red is back on Saturday night. And I have an important question with that being said. You know, assuming they are, assuming the Chiefs have a home crowd this Saturday, because, again, I don't know how many Chargers fans there actually are in the country. It reminds me of, like, yeah, the Bay Yeah, the Raiders fans, I mean, like, I, you know, the, the, the Chiefs have been losing a lot, and, like, I see how more, more visiting fans come in, but I will give it to Raiders fans. They are a national brand, and they do travel well. Similar they're, like the, to the Cowboys and the Yankees I mean, the, type thing. They're not on the level of the Cowboys and the Steelers and those teams quite right. just because they've been so bad. The Raiders have been so bad for so long, but they're, like, any any time they they go on the road, like they're gonna have fans in that city. They're they're a big enough fan base. You just don't want to see them in the lower bowl. I know that, what you're saying. Yeah, the lower yeah. bowl. That's that's the lower bowl. That's supposed to be sacred ground. Like you would <laughs> never go to a Raiders game and see a Chiefs fan in the lower bowl. He Cause, would be because they took him out. Yeah, he would be. He, <laughs> I mean, he would be ejected before the those before faithful the orange seats, aren't they? The orange seats you call yeah. them? the orange seats. You know what I'm saying? Like that that that. I mean, you gotta have. Just, just understand that that lower when you come out as a player and that lower fan base is just, you know, those those, those the, the arrowhead rowdies are going and the chant going. I mean, you just you need to see your own people there. You need you need the uh, arrowhead faithful to really hey hold on to those tickets, find another Chiefs fan to give them to. Final question in this game: Do the Chiefs need to win out to make the playoffs? I think yes. I'm going to yeah. No, I think nine and seven does it. I'm going yes. I'm, I'm thinking that the uh, you know, once you win this game, they still need to win out. Yeah, I, I assume that the Chargers are going to be able to take care of the rest of their schedule. You might be right, too. I mean, sometimes they drop a game late in the season where it's tough. And, you know, the Chiefs after this game, and, and we'll just talk about this briefly because we're going to focus on the Chargers, but they have a Dolphins team that just shocked the Patriots, so they're all of a sudden good, and a Denver team that beat the Jets, shut them out. I was, believe it was 23 nothing. Uh, you know, and that's a team that the Chiefs wound up losing to. So don't think that this schedule after this game is easy. I, I mean, and, and no, no, you can't say that anymore. You're going to need to take care of business. I mean, the Dolphins all of a sudden are in the mix, and the Broncos, for whatever reason, are playing well. So should be an interesting end of the year. It starts with the Chargers this weekend, Saturday night, 730. When we come back, we'll talk about the X's and O's of this game. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride podcast. We're talking Chiefs Chargers this Saturday night, 730 from Arrowhead Stadium. Pete Sweeney here with Sean Barber and Joel Thorman. And we're talking about the X's and O's 
of this game. You have the number six Chiefs offense versus the number 10 defense in the Los Angeles Chargers. And we saw a different Chiefs offense this week, and the general consensus or the general feeling is that it was because of better offensive line play that helped get the run game going. Alex had a little bit more time to get the pass game going. Again, the run helps the pass, the pass helps the run. But here was Alex on the O-line this week. And I think uh, a lot of that's clarification, certainly. As far as communication go, everybody on the same page, everybody rolling. You know, anytime I think there's gray, uh, there's uncertainty, it's, it, it's hard enough to run the ball in, the, in this league, but let alone when, when, when you're tentative, right? So uh, that's a big part of it, right? Everybody being locked in, knowing what we're doing, how we're doing it. Um, and then and then rolling off the ball. And because of the weird schedule this week, we were able to get the coordinators' quotes as well into the podcast. Matt Nagy, interesting quote on the offensive line. Listen carefully. It, it has, and so normally what happens with that is your eyes are the first thing to happen. So if, if there's a little bit of pressure or if you start seeing some things, your eyes go straight down to the line of scrimmage, and it, it's just a domino effect. It affects your feet. Uh, it affects your throws. So when you have protection or, or uh, uh, you have that green grass in front of you, uh, things are a lot clearer. And so he's, he's done that the last few weeks. A lot of offensive linemen have, have done a good job of, of giving him that, and that's where it all begins. We talked about the new Alex, then we talked about the old Alex, and now we talked about the new, new Alex. Matt Nagy right there kind of saying, hey, it might have been the offensive line's fault in the middle of the season. Yeah, I think uh, you don't have to be an expert uh, to, to watch the offensive line. If the guys are getting through and affecting the quarterback, that's not good. Um, and I felt like that was happening uh, repeatedly in the week three game against the Chargers. I don't know if you guys remember, but the Chiefs had uh, the, the Chargers sacked uh, Alex five times in that game. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge test this week, except, especially for the edge guys, uh, Fisher and uh, Ingram. Um, Cause I, Ingram, Fisher and Schwartz, excuse me, because um, I know Ingram and Bosa have uh, like combined for like 20 sacks on the season. So, I mean, this is this is a huge part of the game. I don't think the Chiefs can go in there with their usual plan. I think they have to have like some sort of reinforcements or something because Alex is that much better when he's got time. Sean, we'll go to you in one second because I want to get your feelings on this matchup. But that fits well with what Nagy said about Bosa and Ingram. I think that's the matchup to watch this week, and Nagy seems to agree. Yeah, they're they're uh, as a tandem right now playing playing in my opinion probably the best in the league as far as uh, bookend uh, uh, guys and so we understand that and and it's been a theme you guys know I've been saying it all year long that these defensive linemen are, are aggressive uh, across the board in the NFL but when you have two guys playing at the style that they play a lot of spin moves a um, lot, lot of games that they do. And, and they create lanes by doing that. And then on top of that, they just, they're, they're just, they're full of energy, you know, and, and they're being, they're very successful this year. Sean, our eyes, what did you, what, what did you see? <laughs> I mean, you, it's easy to see that they are a, a dynamic duo, but just like everything else, whatever your strength is, um, a good offense coordinator will use that as your weakness. If they are so quick and they get so much penetration and pressure, then you have to really uh, focus on the screen game. The screen game, delay game, draw, um, take throw up field, take them further than they want to go. Um, no matter who you are and what you do on the defensive side of the ball, there's always a weakness to every defense, um, every individual defensive player. Um, your strengths can be used if you're not um, fine-tuning them, if you're not just a, uh, a consummate, like uh, always self-evaluating yourself. And I think that these guys are getting a little bit um, they're getting national media. They're getting pub. They they're known to be two of the the most uh, exciting and off the ball, firing off the ball. Use it to our advantage. Let them get up the field further than they want to go, and then we'll just hit them. If, if there's one thing we know Andy Reid can do, it's set up a screen game. Oh, he can do that in his sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, I think I think it's been interesting too. And you hear Nagy now; he's been play calling for the past couple of weeks, and you've seen the difference. And it's crazy, but. You have to hand it to Andy Reid and the fact that he wasn't stubborn. He loves calling plays, but he wasn't stubborn in, in, in saying, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm stale. I'm stale right now. So, like, I think there's a little bit of an underrated storyline here with the offensive success of Andy Reid being like, okay, we need to change up. I think Therese made this point the other day that I thought was really good. I hadn't thought about that changing up the play caller is also a tendency breaker 
for for the Chiefs. You know, Andy Reid may have gotten into a rut with some tendencies. Other teams noticed that, um, and I think just handing it off, I think that makes a difference. Uh, one specific thing we've uh, we, we've we've noticed. You know, we chart a lot of these plays each week. The number of uh, run pass options for the Chiefs has exploded under uh, Matt Nagy, um, and those are plays that uh, you know there's a run and a pass concept built into the play. So you know, and I think Alex is pretty good at that. Um, you know, a lot that, of time- that may be what Alex should be doing all the time. It wasn't that similar to what he was doing in his Utah days. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a you know spread concept. There's a bunch of stuff that goes into it that I don't totally understand. Um, but you know, uh, in 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 like the weeks before um, Nagy taking over, they'd run. You know, like in five weeks, they'd run like ten of these, and in mm-hmm. the past two weeks, they've run like. 40 of them, you know, so that was like a clear, like something is different. Um, and I think we all agree the last two weeks, the chiefs um, offense does look better. I love the fact that last week for the first time in a long time, you saw it evened out a little bit. They involved Tyreek. They involved Travis Kelsey. Yeah. They invited Albert, Albert Wilson. Kareem Hunt seemed to be back. That's the offense you saw at the beginning of the year. And I know they didn't dominate necessarily a Raiders team. They probably should have dominated. I mean, it was 26, nothing at one point. So you, you change up a little bit. I mean, but Still, I mean, great to see everybody involved. It starts with Andy Reid. I mean, being confident enough and being, uh, you know, knowing, knowing your your personnel. Again, that same thing: addition from subtraction. Add more to the defense by subtracting yourself. Take yourself out of it. If if, if you're the guy who's been doing it and the things aren't working, take step away. Be man enough to take a, take your step away and let one of your uh, subordinates go up and call his plays. Like you say, the RPO numbers go way up. Our offense starts clicking. The scoreboard starts, you know, right. jumping up and things are working well for him. So I'm um, just not being so egotistical, you know, letting, you know, letting your, your ego get in the way of what you know to do as a coach. Andy, man, thanks. I can't, I can't say enough great things about old Andy Reid. So, you know, the better they play these next few weeks, the less likely of a chance there is that Nagy's back doing this again next year. Come on. I mean, play a calling plays an Andy Reid lieutenant. Um, Andy Reid's going to say some really nice things about him. I would not be stunned if he gets some real interest. And the point output differential is absurd because Andy Reid got in that rut and then Matt Nagy took over and they had 31 points against the Jets, uh, came back and what was it 26? Yeah. 26 against the Raiders. If that continues this week against a really hot Chargers team, who is also playing well defensively, you know, one thing leads to another. You make the playoffs. You see Doug Peterson having the greatest year maybe of all time, especially if he continues that with Nick Foles. Because like, Peterson also has an effect on that too. If Peterson can make the playoffs and continue it rolling with Nick Foles, that means Nagy stock goes up and up and up and up. And so it's kind of like you don't he, like Nagy almost has two things working for him right now. No, it'll be a good situation no matter what. But I mean, at the end of the day, Nagy's a he's an Andy Reid guy. He'll, he'll be here for a few seasons before he uh, he makes that jump. Um, it's just it's just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, your first year as coordinator, I think you want to um, you want to see some things. You don't want to just go out there. I think that's probably what happened with uh, you know with, with our guy. Well, I always, Vance Joseph. You don't always take the first job either. And yeah. I think it has to be the right situation for you. I know Chris Ballard was offered a bunch of jobs that he didn't end up taking uh, before he eventually took the Colts job that was a fit. So you wonder if Nagy does the same thing. You know, he kind of doubles down and says maybe I have some more to learn. Yeah, and he's he's pretty young too. I think he's only like thirty eight or thirty nine or something like that. So he's got to know that he's likely got a long career um, in it, and that he's got a good gig in Kansas City. If you're, uh, you know, calling plays as a coordinator, that's the second best job you can get on a staff, other than a head coach. You know what I mean? But you know, the the when when he handed play calling over to him, that was really the first time where my ears perked up, like. Ooh, because coordinators that call plays, I feel like, get a little extra attention. Not that that makes any sense in the head coach hiring process, um, but, uh, you know, that's that's when my antenna kind of went off. And, I mean, he's, he, he sounds confident, too. I mean, we're listening to him today during the press conferences, and sometimes demeanor gives you a lot. That's why sometimes – I'm not trying to bring politics into this, but that's sometimes why presidents get elected and sometimes when they don't. If they're really well-spoken, sometimes you can have a smarter candidate on the other side, but, you know, if they're convincing and, and – Nagy just really sounds like a smart football guy, you know, and I think sometimes that helps. Sometimes our guys get beat on plays, but what Nagy did, he's told you, it, it, primarily when things will go wrong, it's because the guys have their eyes in the wrong place. Because from a skill level, they've all graded out to be evaluated to be able to get the job done. But when you put your eyes in the wrong place, you don't give yourself a chance. And I think he's, he's narrowed it back down. He went to the offensive line talking about, you know, the primary goal is just make sure they're looking at the right things. Make sure we're all seeing the same back thing. Back to basics. Almost. Back to the basics. And once that gets going, it doesn't really matter if Mitch is in there or whoever. 
we all seeing the same thing collectively of offensive line. It's easy to get things rolling, as he said, eliminate the gray area. That's what happens when people are looking at different things, different ways. It creates gray area. Eliminate that gray area, and you eliminate penetration. You eliminate uh, pressure on the quarterback. And it's like coaching one-on-one. gets back to basics. Now, I think, of course, the battle is to watch up front. Behind them in the backfield, Casey Hayward and Tyree Kill. That'll be a fun matchup to watch. Final word, how does the Chiefs offense have success this week? I'm going to say the new, old, new Alex becomes what we call the RPO king, the run pass option king. He, it, it, we keep going what's going good, um, hopefully sprinkling in a little bit of a screen game, a little bit of draw game. Um, and be, <laughs> that's my sprinkle. Sprinkle it in. And um, besides that, man, uh, I see the offense rolling. All right. Well, switching to the other side of the football, Chiefs defense coming in at number 28. That's such an ugly number each week. Los Angeles offense number five. So Los Angeles pretty good ranking-wise on both sides of the football. First things first, as far as X's and O's goes for the Chiefs defense, Marcus Peters is back. Phillip Rivers is aware. Well, I mean, he's a good corner. I mean, they play, shoot, they played really well. It was 26 to nothing at one point in the fourth quarter. So uh, they did a nice job. Uh, those guys did a nice job. But uh, he's a really good corner. I mean, he's a dangerous corner. You know, he's to, you know, you categorize different corners in different ways. And, and some are just so textbook and they play their assignment and uh, it's tough to get completions on them. And then there's others, which I put him in this category, that are dangerous. You're just not sure what he's going to do. He may give you. 10-yard completion, and then he may intercept the next one for a touchdown. And, and that's what makes him so hard to predict. He's very unpredictable. He's very smart in the way he reads things. So um, certainly you, gotta, you have to be careful with. But, uh, shoot, they've had a lot of different guys in the lineup at corner, you know, uh, 23, 24, 39, 20, you know, 21 in there covering tight ends, 38, 49 back there safety. I mean, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a good secondary. And, again, this is a scheme that they're very familiar with. they played a lot together and they've played in the same uh system for a while now so um they uh they play well now you talk about a dream matchup you know mayweather and mcgregor (laughs) here you have marcus peters who was benched last week suspended so he is itching if you know marcus peters he's itching to get back on the field like a caged beast you got keenan allen who's playing some of the best football of his career they have beef. They're going to be one-on-one with each other. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to I w- watch it. I would caution you. I seem to remember us talking about this before the last game, and I think they actually they kept Keenan Allen away from Peters a lot of the time. Not all the time. Um, but if they're smart, Keenan Allen's their best receiver. Don't put him on the Chiefs' best quarter. Put him on the other but side. On the other side, we got the Revis Island, yes. baby. I mean, I'm so I'm I'm guessing that there the, there's not going to be a lot of one-on-one matchups between those two, and I don't think that's a great matchup for Peters either. But you know, if you want to put him over there for the game, and Peters can give up 100 yards, he's probably going to get a pick too, though. That's where Revis comes into play, man. We'll we'll get a little bit more into that. But he had a great week last week, and if he can be similar to the old Revis, then Peters starts to get those opportunities that he hasn't been getting in a long time. And we know if Peters gets those opportunities, he's going to get a pick. You have know we, it. Have you, have you made a reference to the new old? <laughs> the, the new, the new the, old 24? Hashtag the new Revis. The new old <laughs> I'm going to tweet it out right now. I'm, gonna the, tweet, I'm tweeting it right now. Man, we love the new old of anybody. Um, the two things that really jumped out to that, that, that sound by Rivers is that uh, he's aware. He's aware of, um, of there being a uh, – uh, unpredictability to the lineup on the defense side of the ball. Um, and like I said, as an offensive coordinator, not knowing who's going to be where is a, to me, is a is a detriment to you trying to create an offense plan. Um, when you know who the two starting corners are, you know who the third uh, nickel coming in, you can look at their weaknesses and try to divide offensive plan to attack those things. But not knowing if where Mitchell's going to be or Nelson's going to be or anybody else or if, if it's going to be 2-4 for the whole game or uh, maybe we throw a, a a little, you know, sprinkle a dash of letting Peters jump back and forth a little bit. Um, there, there's always a room on defense to mix things up, create a, a whole new set of rules to the game that the offensive coordinator is not ready for. So, I mean, the unpredictability of our defense is one thing that's already in the mind of Rivers. Man, I would make that a monster. I, I would I would make his, his, his dream a nightmare and give him exactly what he wants, just a, a total unpredictability of the – uh, of the personnel you saw on defense. Yeah, Marcus Peters is the way he is. You have Darrell Rivas playing a little bit better, and then you have those guys in the secondary who looked much improved last week. Bob Sutton asked why this week. I think our situation was one that, you know, uh, 
you know, this was a must. I mean, we had to win the game. I mean, there, was, there wasn't really much uh, wiggle room uh, to do it. Um, obviously, you know, uh, the first game we didn't play very well in our our estimation. Uh, uh, Oakland played really well and executed. So, you know, I think I think we felt like, hey, to to get this thing back, where we need, we're going to have to really step up and play. And uh, no matter who's in the game, really isn't a factor. Those you just got to go. But I thought it was collectively a a really good effort. I mean, uh, we, we sacked him a few times, but we rushed uh, really effectively. You know, not always in sacks, but you know, in our mind. Um, that word affecting the quarterback. You know, we're trying to affect the quarterback and, and do that. And I thought some guys did some really nice jobs. And, and I thought the coverage guys challenged, you know, a lot. You know, sat down and did it and uh, um, really happy with what they did. We need a repeat of that this week. Our team played with a lot of excitement from the word go. I mean, um, series after series, our defense was up in their face, jamming guys, uh, defense linemen getting off the ball, like you're saying, affecting Derek Carr the entire game. We have to do the same thing to Rivers. Rivers is even less mobile, and you know exactly where he's going to be at to deliver the ball, and you know the offensive line is protecting that one area. So no, that known target is known to everybody exactly where he's going to be set up. He doesn't roll well. He doesn't throw on the run well. If you let him throw from that sweet spot, um, he's very accurate and very dangerous. And you know where he's getting the ball to Keenan Allen uh, more often than not. I think the Chiefs on offense and defense were just more complete last week. So you had the secondary playing well, but they were assisted by the fact that Chris Jones seemed to wake up. And then you had a guy like Jarvis Jenkins. How, how often have we even said the name Jarvis Jenkins? He got some more burn and he looked good last week. Again, here's Bob on Jarvis Jenkins, a name we haven't said much this season. I think Jarvis was, you know, again, a high-energy guy. Uh, he's been playing pretty well for us. You know, we we obviously, as you know, we, we rotate guys through there on a pretty regular basis. So uh, he, he he had been really consistently, I think, you know, playing at a pretty good level. And um, I can't tell you honestly, I don't remember if he got that many more plays than he normally would have. But uh, I thought he was really effective. And he was another guy that uh, – did a good job getting to the quarterback, but also affected the quarterback in the tenacity that he rushed with. So, uh, to me, that that's what he did, and of course, that allows us to, you know, keep guys fresh and move guys around and and do all those things. But yeah, I thought he did a really nice job in the game. Sean, you're the only NFL player at the table. That feeding off each other, that's that's a real thing. No, hundred percent, man. That energy level, and it's not it's not just amongst players. It's the fan base. That's what I'm trying to. I don't know what I need to do. What kind of if I need to put a billboard out of uh, airplane pulling a sign and do some skywriting, the Arrowhead mystique has to be there on Saturday for the team to feed. You see, uh, Chris Jones, his energy level is out of the roof when he can feel it. He's begging the crowd always, give me more, give me more. The more you give him, the more he'll give you. If you want to see this young pup really play like a all pro. Give it to him every like from the word go, just as a crowd, just be relentless in the energy level. And I'm telling you, that defense will just it will rise to the occasion. I love I love seeing like during like a TV timeout, you know, when you're at the game, all the you know the the offense and defense is just standing around there on the field, and then in big situations, you'll get Chris Jones like jumping up far in the crowd, Marcus Peters like looking at the crowd, you know, trying to get everybody going, like. You can kind of feel when there's some momentum going. And last week, you know, like like you were talking about, it felt like like there was like energy, like they swarmed the ball. Um, some of those like buzzwords that Andy Reid uses after the game mm-hmm. about energy giver and all that sort of stuff, like that all felt like true. So yeah, I mean, I th- I think they, I mean, I, I yeah, I think they got to be at least on that level um, to be competing this week. Key players to watch in this game: Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry has actually been getting in the mix a little bit more lately for them. That was not the case at the beginning of the season. The ground game, Melvin Gordon, he can, he can hurt you if you're not prepared for him as well. And then that's that's what's making the Chargers so good right now on defense and offense is like the Chiefs last week, they're they're kind of playing in a complete way. You know, they have the run game going. They have Phillip Rivers who can get you. So the Chiefs defense is going to need to bring it this week. Rivers, um, you know, we, we, we I don't think we've mentioned it here yet, uh, but I'm reading Sean's notes. Uh, Rivers, 0-7, his last seven games versus the, versus the Chiefs. Five touchdowns, ten picks, and a 68.7 rating uh, against the Chiefs. So Rivers, going to be in the Hall of Fame, winning a lot of games right now, plays really bad against the Chiefs. Had three picks last game. He was asked about that this week. Well, I mean, throughout the course of that game, you know, you look up, watching back through that game this week, and it's 17 to 10, four and a half minutes left, and we got the ball. We have a chance to go tie it up, even with the the really one of the worst games I've had in, in, in a while. So, um 
no, I don't think about it. I mean, I, I think, again, uh, and like I've always said, I, thankfully I haven't had many three interception games, uh, but we've all had them. I don't know that you can find a guy that hadn't, have, hadn't had them. Uh, maybe there's a few out there, but not many. And uh, you just keep going. You just keep going. And, and um, that's what we did throughout the course of that game. We still fell short. But um, you, just, you just keep going and keep playing. And that's really what we've done all year long. After the 0-4 start, you just keep going, keep believing, and keep playing. Now you can't see this if you were listening, but when Rivers said that he doesn't think about it, my man Sean over here made a face. Sean, <laughs> what was that face about? I mean, you, you can't you can't tell me the exact time in the game, the score, the scenario. Yeah, the, I the, never actually think about it. I, I don't. I don't think about it. I mean, I just I just know every detail about when I imploded as an athlete and had yeah. the worst game in my career. But I don't. You know, I don't think about it anymore. I mean, come on. Like, like it is what it is. He's got he's, his demons. Is 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 it's a it's an air about playing here that's bothering him, and he's gonna try just like Derek Carr did a week ago. He's gonna try to like get rid of those demons. He wants to. It's part. It's something about him. He's a great competitor. Do it? we do we need to bench KPL and get you a one game contract? <laughs> <in this weekend? laughs> no, man. Somebody, the guy who's playing with my jersey right now is playing at a, a real high level. So I don't want to see us without Mr. Ragland in there winning that five nine. He's doing he's doing this work out there. So. He's doing awesome. Man, he great job. He's doing really good. We'll, a beach pickup. Little tease for you. We'll get to him when we read some tweets. When we come back, first we'll get to predictions. We'll read those tweets, and we'll close up shop here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast. Drink run. Here we go. McCafe coffees, shakes, and drinks. Ain't no thing. You the man. Yeah, that's what they're going to say. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much. We love you. <laughs> that's right. You the champ. The drink run champ. Welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? Own the drink run, Kevin. Own it. Now get a small smoothie, shake, or frappe for $2 on McDonald's one two three dollars menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride podcast. Pete Sweeney here with Sean Barber, Joel Thorman, Real MN Chiefs fan Seth Kaiser on the line. It's prediction time Saturday night at 7.30 from Arrowhead Stadium. Sean, we start with you. I'm going to make real simple, okay? 30 to 20 Chiefs win. Um, that 20 points is going to come late fourth quarter. I think we're going to be 30 to 3 by the beginning of the third quarter. Uh Arrowhead crowd, Arrowhead mystique. Uh, Rivers, like he does historically, is going to be bad the entire game. Then he's going to put on a show in the fourth quarter and throw two touchdowns and get him to, you know, be respectable. So, but I'm going uh, 30 to 20, 30 to 20 Chiefs. I'll go with uh, 28 27 Chargers. <sighs> After picking against the Chiefs last week, it was clearly me that was the bad luck guy the whole time. <laughs> and I am reversing the jinx back. Chargers win 28 27. You know, for a while I saw this game in the schedule and I saw how hot the Chargers were. I really like the Chargers. But I don't know, something about this Matt Nagy play calling has me feeling some sort of way. I think it's 24-24. This game goes into overtime. And then we have a bomb to Tyreek Hill, 30-24. to See you later, Chiefs. Seth? I'm going to go 30. No, no. No, no, not high. Sorry, I should stop this. While you guys are talking. I'm going to go 27, 24, Chiefs. Not overtime or anything like that. Um, I, I do have a lot of faith in what I've seen in the in the play calling and the offensive design. Matt he's done a really good job building on Andy Reid's concepts and taking away some of Andy Reid's more maddening tendencies. And I think, think. What we saw from the defense against Oakland was not a mirage, and I think they're back on track. So I, I think Chiefs, did, with their backs to the wall, they win. Seth with the little elbow jet, Andy Reid there. You see that? What, what, what confuses me is that he goes with 30 and then says, hold up, not that high, and he goes with 27. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically you're saying a butt kick is going to make a fit, miss a field goal. Like, that's, I mean, he's got the computer going, you know? He's, okay. He's, he's, you know, it's well, I was going to say like 13 or something, and so I, I like I, I had to really back up of that. Oh, okay. The Chargers really have a good defense. Okay, we just they caught, caught you halfway. Yeah, we caught you halfway into season Yeah, yeah, I caught 30. myself midway through, so it came out all wrong. So we have three Chiefs pickers, one Chargers picker this week. Last week, Sean, you were the lone wolf, and, oh. and you were the only one correct. <laughs> Hopefully the lone wolf isn't right this week. We'll no, see. No. We'll see. All right, Seth, before we let you go, you know, you're a preacher, you're a film watcher, you're a lawyer. What's the advice this week? 
Oh man, I never I never prepare for this properly. So I guess we'll have to go with uh with with, with preacher advice. Um, that that way that I can make like half the people angry and make half the people really happy. <laughs> so you know when 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 someone says happy holidays to you, this is this is for the this is for the Merry Christmas crowd. How's this? When someone says happy holidays to you, it's okay to not get offended. You can just say Merry Christmas back and smile and walk away. Don't yell at people over that. That's silly. Agreed. There, that, that ought to get some people getting mad at me. Jolly, <laughs> that, that advice brought to you by Jolly St. Seth. Yes. And uh, we, <laughs> we appreciate uh, the, the football knowledge and, of course, uh, the advice. Uh, Seth, uh, we'll see you this weekend on Twitter, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, right? Um, yes, I'm actually going to get to watch this game live, I'm pretty sure. So this will be good. All right, fantastic, man. Have a good one. See you, Seth. All right, take care, guys. Seth Kaiser, man, always bringing the heat with the prediction. I, I do like that you pointed out the fact that he started with 30, said it was too high, and then dropped three points. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Seth's Something good about player. that last field goal just yeah. didn't feel right. He felt bucky. The wind was going to blow, butt kicker a little bit too low. Like, ah, no, nah, he ain't going to make that one. Go with Speaking 27. of butt kicker, real quick, last week um, I mentioned during the game, I, I tweeted like, oh, the NFL's best kicker made uh, you know another field goal. And I had – Still to this day, I have Ravens fans in my mentions saying Justin Tucker is actually the best kicker in the NFL. They are very, very, very defensive about that. They're pretty prideful. He was the one, I think, in camp, right, that made like a 70-yarder yeah, or something he, crazy. He, no, he is legit really good and probably the best kicker in the NFL. But Keep yeah. doing it. Yeah, oh, you know, no. Tag him this week. Oh, yeah. Tag him. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what happened today, but I'm seeing Facebook Live comments as well that Arrowhead Pride was on GMFB. I don't know why, though. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, somebody said something. Um, I'm seeing it on, on here too. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was the butt kicker Ravens feud. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm we, gonna, have to, I, we have to figure it out by the end of the day. I'm, none of us were watching this morning. Yeah, they mentioned. Yeah, I, uh, several people said that they heard Arrowhead Pride on on the NFL Network morning show um, and, this morning. And, so. S, and I think S dot. So, oh, so we're gonna we're gonna figure out. What, we're gonna figure out show. What That's said. what I'm talking about. We're in the big leagues, brother. Speaking of fan comments, right now we're gonna read a couple tweets uh, from you guys. First one from Aaron Elder: Does the DJ hit on Lynch prove Johnson's getting healthier, or just right place, right time? Right place, right time. I think because he actually made um, a hit like that um, a couple years ago against the Raiders. It was on a screen that he sniffed out to me. That just shows the dude's been in the league for a long time. He saw it building. Uh, early and and got there plenty of time. Another another way to implement uh, addition by subtraction: less plays, more impactful plays. So you, you yeah. take him out a couple of snaps, but the snaps he's in there, he's able to be a lot more impactful. And uh, like you saying, he's just a crafty veteran. Now. When he sniffed at that that little flare route, man, he was able just to attack it, go see it, and he, I mean, it, it energized him, and I think the rest of the team too. David Area at Area David, very clever Twitter handle. Uh, Jenkins Jones. And Nacho, the the future of the defensive line or no? Jenkins, Jones, and Nacho. Um, I mean, I think other than Jones, Jones is the only guy I think you could say for sure that's going to be here for a while. Um, the I, other, I would like, tend to agree, but the two the two other guys are showing promise. Wasn't Nacho? What did he initially make the roster at the beginning uh, of the season? He was cut at some point and then was brought you know brought back. And Andy Reid made a point this week to say. You know, this was a guy that was on the street. Nobody wanted him, like an orphan. Yeah. They brought him back in. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he's showing some promise, and, and the defensive staff really likes him. Some of the best things you can do for a player is cut him because it makes them realize that it's not, it's not something you can take for granted. It's not, the, you know, there's no guarantees to this. And some players, once they are released one time, they really start to go after it in a, in a way you haven't seen before in their career. So You saw it briefly with Rameek Wilson, and he was playing well. Therese really was liking him, I remember seeing, and now sort of that never heard from him again type thing right now with Rameek. Yeah, it just, I mean, like you're saying, it affects all players different. I think from Nacho's standpoint, it, did, it definitely was something once he was gone, it makes him realize that, you know what, I can't just play at my level. I can't play as a backup guy. Everybody in the, on the roster has to play up a level. Everybody has to play to the, to beyond their own capabilities to show that they deserve to be one of that 53. You have to really respect every position on the field to be one of that 53. Everybody's accounted for. Everybody needs to be uh, part of uh, the game day preparation and playing, you know, way above their ceiling. And so that's what you saw with Nacho. I mean, he's playing at a very high level. Him and Jenkins, 
But definitely Jones is the leader up front. And I think uh, Brett Beach is going to continue to find newer, younger guys to try to replace these other guys. So, as, as Michael Jordan says, the roof is the ceiling. The roof is the ceiling. Benny Logan hardly played last week, too. Played like eight or nine snaps or something like that. So maybe we're starting to see you know them mixing it up more or looking ahead to next year. You're happy, you happy that deal is not long-term now. Yeah, it's a one-year deal. Chris Mullis, House Mullis, Twitter handle. So first game, and Darrell was thrown to seven times and gave up only one catch for eight yards. If he keeps this going, is he worth $10 million next year? Good question. I think I read someplace that there are, are starting corners were targeted like uh, a total of 18 times and gave up five catches for like 50 yards um, right. against, you know, against Derek Carr, against a, a good passing quarterback, against a good passing team. To be only uh, have five completions or something like that for 50 yards is a great uh, showing coming into this game uh, where you need your confidence on high. Uh, the one thing the Chargers can do is, man, they can they can throw that rock around. They'll throw it to, and they'll throw it all over the place. And you have to be in position uh, to make plays on the ball and uh, break passes up and do what you have to do uh, within the scheme of the defense, and uh, not give anything over the top. So just keep them in front of you and play good defense. I just had a lightning bolt hit my head on a oh. t-shirt idea. Jeez. If if he if he plays well this week, we need to come out with a "You Forgot About Revis Island" shirt, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this week I think is uh, we'll we'll see if this is a better test. Derek Carr's a good player, but he had a horrible game. Um, so it's still like I still don't feel like I've got like a really good like look at Revis. Um, you know, if he gives up one catch a game, he's worth ten million easily. Uh, but we'll see about that. All right, I agree. I think he's played well. He's shown progress through two weeks now. If he continues to show this, and man, if you get a guy that can get the ball thrown in Peter's direction a little bit more. That'll mean more turnovers, uh, whether it be forced fumbles or interceptions. So I think that's worth the money in itself is letting Peters kind of shine in, in that way. And, and there aren't a lot of corners in the league that could, could let that happen. That said, I think there's something you do, you know, if or if there's some way you can put incentives into the deal where he has to make a certain amount of weight. Because you've seen that with Dontari Poe and other guys in the league because – when Rivas came back, I believe it was Therese again with the star who asked the question, what was your playing weight? And he's like, I was a lot heavier. And he came in at like 203, 204 pounds. And if that makes the difference, you have to have him at that weight next year. He can't be heading the Lamar's Donuts in the offseason. We have a lot of good food here in the Midwest. Too much. I mean, it's too much. Day, you know, you got you to do what you got to do. You got you to put those weight restrictions on him. Whatever you have to do to have him playing the way he's uh, progressing to. I think the Rivas Allen we see – uh, on Saturday is not going to be anywhere near what we see come week 17. I think he's going to get better and better each week, keep knocking a little bit of rust off his game, seeing things. It's a timing thing when it comes to being a cornerback. Until he gets that game timing, that, that elite-level timing back, he's probably just allowing things to develop in front of him, see things, try to be in the right place. But when he gets that quick twitch back and he sees things, he's able to react like a cat, what we see Marcus Peter does all the time. He has these cat-like reflexes. Um, if you get one of those on both ends, the defense becomes really scary. All right. Next tweet, Troy Kaufman, at Troy Kaufman. Not a, I'll tell you what, uh, something about the handles this week, not a ton of creativity. <laughs> Why are you reading both of them? <laughs> Just think it's funny. Uh, is this Derek Johnson's last year? If, if so, has Raglan shown enough to be the heir apparent to him if not, do we draft, look at free agency, or roll the dice with shifting someone else to be the leading line, linebacker on, on the defense? Here's, here's my answer for this, and it's a two-part answer. I think Ragland's shown enough to show that he could potentially be an heir. At the same time, he could go down with an ACL injury tomorrow. So you never stop looking for talent as well, you know, f to create competition and depth, right? Um, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine a team without DJs, one of my favorite players. Uh, but, you know, if you just look at what's happening here, his his snaps are decreasing. They've invested in that position. I mean, sure as heck looks like they're getting ready uh, for life without DJ next season. Um, but, you know, he, he's he's been around a long time. He's still uh, productive as a part-time player, so I don't think it's a guaranteed thing by any means. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just have no idea. I mean, if you, if you don't include kicker and punter, there's basically about eight positions you can play on the field. And usually you try to get about seven draft picks. So, each year, I think uh, as a scouting department, you try to get one guy or two guys in some where you have a need. I don't think we have a need, so, so say like a, a void in linebacker, but you're always trying to find that next uh, young, developing young uh, a player who can come in and really uh, 
uh, kind of give you that spark. You know, a young guy playing in his first and second year on the Pro Bowl level. Uh, so if there's, a, if there's a linebacker in the college level who's playing up to the par and you have an opportunity to go get him, I mean, barring what you already have in your stable, if that next great player is there, you take him. And you've seen that with Ragland, yeah. and you've seen that with Butker. You know, if there's an ability to get a player that may be an upgrade, these guys aren't going to blink. You know, they're, they're kind of reminding you this year that it's a, it's a business in that way. Macklin, remind you, Tyreek. Yeah, and you revisit the Macklin thing, up and down year. I mean, he's had his moments, but... Looking back now, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they made the move. At the time, I was like, this is like, he's, he's destroying the team. Ridiculous move. Addition by subtraction. Yeah. Last tweet, and it's something we revisit somewhat often on this podcast, the million-dollar question, or should I say the $17 million question. What do the Chiefs do with Alex next year? I personally love him, but we have Mahomes. So what do you think they'll do after the year he's had? I think they're going to trade him. I think there's going to be a pretty good market for him. I wouldn't be surprised if they can get a couple of uh, mid to high round picks. You know, I think they got two second rounders for him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they got close to that uh, um, on on this market. So I think with a return like that, um, they have to you trade him. You know, one thing I'm always wrong about, and I feel like I follow pretty, football pretty closely, is the compensation and picks that comes back for people like Sometimes you're like, oh, this guy's worth a second round pick, and there's like, oh, fifth rounder. And it's like you can only get a fifth rounder for that guy. <laughs> a lot so, of times it's the contract too. Yeah. Right. You got to fit under the cap. But for Alex, like 17 million is actually a bargain for a starting quarterback. If if you're the Browns and He's you have out it out a starter, if you have 12 picks and you're the Browns, like, and you ha- you need to spend 100 million dollars, like, honestly, how do they not go get Alex? You go draft your guy first overall, get Alex. I mean, that seems like a like you're you're potentially competing for a playoff spot next year. Yeah, after seeing what the Browns did a year ago with the Osweiler thing, uh, getting uh, losing money to get cap space to give away trade and then give them back to to do all that and not even have the player anymore. I mean, you see how, how how you know that cap structure can really force your hand to do things. And with as many draft picks as uh, you know Dorsey now, what the Cleveland's going to have, it would be kind of uh, I mean. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be too far fetched to think that he's going to make an offer, make a run for Alex Smith. Obviously, yeah. when he was here, that was one of his, their first moves was to get him from San Fran, and now he's someplace else. And he might just uh you know hey, let's let's try it again, go back to the well again to see what you know what he can what he can spark. And I think from the Chiefs standpoint, I mean it would be a match made in heaven. You get a team that has a, a plethora of draft picks where you can demand you know four or five of them for your quarterback, and if that trade gets you know gets through, then. We'll, that, you know, both it's a win-win situation. I, I at the beginning of the year was confused as to if he went to an AFC Championship game, would the Chiefs wind up keeping him? And as we get sort of closer to the end, I am sort of sort of reversing how I feel. I think even if they won an AFC Championship and got to the Super Bowl, I don't know if he's still here next year. I just, I think Mahomes has shown in like the minimal amount that we've gotten to see him in training camp and in preseason games. I think he's probably ready. And you've seen quarterbacks come out, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and are some of the best quarterbacks in the league now. So I think you save the money, you get the picks, you fill in spots, and you, you're probably back in the mix, even with Mahomes after a few games next year. So I, I think, yeah, I think they'll move on no matter what this year, which is crazy to say. I, mean, yeah. I just think the value, the value of that rookie contract, the rookie quarterback contract, I mean, is just so huge. Like the difference, you know, a $15 million difference or whatever it is, like, man, that's just like so big that I feel like you almost have to. Yeah, when it, comes, when it comes to the salary cap, I mean, you just think about what can you do with that freed up money? How many other positions can you get better at? Just because instead it's a combination of, of things because you have those picks, whatever that's going to be, uh-huh. and then you have the free money that you can use on the market. And if Veach is pulling guys like I said it already, Raglan and Butker kind of out of the thin air, what could he do with seventeen million dollars? And it's like, yeah, they're going to make the move. Oh, it's getting scary, huh? Two thousand eighteen Chiefs coming at you is getting it's, scary. It's going to be if it happens this year, it's going to be nerve wracking because I feel like you knew you know what you're getting with Alex. There's some comfort in that. You know, where you know he's not going to, like, nope. I don't know. Comfort. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be different. Uh, it'll be exciting. But it'll we just know be about different. post-Smith, but what about post-Mahomes? Yeah, because he'll be here for 20 years. We'll have that conversation in 2037. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. It's the Chiefs and the Chargers coming at you this Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. 
Anything before we go? Blo- uh, I was about to call you the blog father. Estad and Sean Barber. Any, anything before we get? Estad has told me just to make sure everybody out there at the stadium uh, from the from the kickoff, uh, be there early. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's bring the kingdom to see it red. I want to see it back live and in effect on Saturday. Uh, hashtag addition by subtraction. <laughs> okay. Everyone go to our Facebook page. Pete uh, went to L.A. a couple of weeks ago and visited a Chiefs bar and made this uh, little documentary that is awesome. Go to our Facebook page and find it. It's really cool. Thanks for the shout-out. I got really nothing. I'm excited for this game on Saturday night. I am also excited of being able to watch football kind of peacefully on Sunday. I think that'll be cool. But it'll be the Chiefs and the Chargers. It's like a playoff game. Saturday night, 7.30 from Arrowhead Stadium. If you're not going out to the game, you can get the game on CBS and NFL Network. For Sean Barber, the Barbershop, Joel Thorman, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to the Arrowhead Pride Podcast. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Smart.